AFF on Air, the Australian Frequent Flyer podcast is boarding. Step on board for the latest news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. Your captain, Matt Graham, now invites you to sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. G'day and welcome to episode 78 of AFF On Air. It's the 19th of February 2022. In this episode, we continue with our series of podcasts looking at what it's like travelling to different destinations around the world at this late stage of the pandemic as international borders open up again. Shortly, I'll speak to two Australian frequent flyers who've recently travelled to the UK. One of them flew with Qantas via Darwin, while the other flew to London with Japan Airlines, despite having to put up with a very long layover in Tokyo, although that seemed to work out pretty well for him. Unfortunately, one of my guests did get COVID while they were in the UK, but this person doesn't regret going, uh, and we'll find out why shortly. But first, let's begin with a roundup of the latest Australian airline travel and loyalty program news from the past fortnight. And firstly, all passengers arriving in Australia from overseas are now required to complete a new form called the Digital Passenger Declaration, or DPD, as of yesterday. This form replaces the Australia Travel Declaration form, and it will also eventually replace the incoming passenger card from the middle of this year. That's the yellow card that you need to fill out normally on the plane. The DPD needs to be completed now within 72 hours before departure into Australia, uh, but it needs to be done after you've received your negative COVID-19 pre-departure test, which can be a PCR test taken within 72 hours or a rapid antigen test within 24 hours before, uh, before departure into Australia. It comes as Australia international border is due to reopen to international tourists again from next Monday. And overseas, Singapore will relax travel restrictions for passengers entering or transiting through the country from next week. From the 22nd of February 2022, passengers in international transit via Singapore will no longer be required by the Singaporean government to get a pre-departure COVID test. Passengers arriving in Singapore on a VTL flight, that's a vaccinated travel lane flight, will also now be able to just get a $15 rapid antigen test on arrival instead of paying between $125 and $200 for a PCR or an express lamp test and then having to isolate uh, for several hours at the hotel while they wait for a result. In addition, passengers arriving in Singapore from next week will no longer need to take rapid antigen tests on days 2 through to 7 after arrival if they want to leave their accommodation. The requirements to board a VTL flight to Singapore are being eased as well, with only a passenger's seven-day travel history now being taken into account instead of their 14-day travel history. And six new countries will also shortly be added to Singapore's list of VTL countries. These are Hong Kong, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Israel and the Philippines. Despite the removal of testing requirements for transit passengers in Singapore, Qantas now plans to continue running its kangaroo route service from Sydney to London via Darwin instead of Singapore until at least the middle of June 2022. The stopover for this flight was due to return to Singapore where it was pre-COVID from late March. Qantas will also continue running its Melbourne to London flight via uh, Darwin until at least June, instead of Perth, which it says is due to the delay in Western Australia reopening its border. 
Other countries around the world are also now easing testing and quarantine requirements. Just to give you a few examples, the Philippines has reopened to tourists last week, while Vietnam and Indonesia are slowly easing entry requirements for tourists as well. Switzerland, meanwhile, has just dropped most COVID restrictions other than basic mask wearing rules. Japan, too, will start to ease entry restrictions from next month, although arrivals into Japan will still need to quarantine for a few nights, and the Japanese border is not yet reopening to tourists. It's just for business people and students and people like that. Despite the reopening of Australia's border, many international airlines have not yet returned to Brisbane Airport. Many airlines have now resumed flights to Sydney and Melbourne, but airlines including Air Canada, Etihad Airways, Hawaiian Airlines, Korean Air, Royal Brunei, China Southern, China Eastern and Hainan have all pulled out of Brisbane, and these airlines have no flights currently scheduled to Brisbane at any time in the next year, in fact. Of the 32 international destinations available from Brisbane Airport pre-COVID, 12 of them are not coming back at all. Qatar Airways is perhaps the exception to this trend, though. From next month, Qatar Airways will increase its services between Brisbane and Doha to daily. Qatar is also changing the stopover point of its Doha to Auckland flight from Brisbane to Adelaide. Now, because Qatar does not have local traffic rights to transport passengers between Australia and New Zealand only, any passengers on board the leg between Australia and Auckland need to be continuing to or from Doha. So they're actually taking up seats that could be used uh, by passengers travelling between Australia and Doha. So what this change means is that Qatar will now be offering even more capacity on its flights into Brisbane, but less into Adelaide. Low-cost startup airline Bonza has revealed the 25 routes that it plans to launch when it begins domestic flights around Australia in the middle of this year. Subject to regulatory approval, Bonza will launch with five Boeing 737 MAX aircraft and fly to 16 destinations initially across eastern Australia. The airline has announced that it will be based at Sunshine Coast Airport and it will fly to a large number of regional airports including Rockhampton, Toowoomba, Coffs Harbour, Port Macquarie, Albury, Mackay and Mildura and it will also have a second base at Melbourne's Tullamarine Airport. Some people have questioned whether Bonza will be able to fill Boeing 737 aircraft with 186 economy seats on some of those more niche routes like Melbourne to Bundaberg, which is one of the routes that's being launched. But with only two to four weekly return services on most routes and very affordable airfares, Bonza hopes that it will be able to stimulate demand and encourage people who might have otherwise driven or not travelled at all to fly instead. Passengers flying Bonza can also expect a paperless experience, the airline has revealed, with the airline promising that customers will be able to check in, manage their bookings, and access the airline's onboard retail offering, which will include Bonza-branded budgie smugglers through the Fly Bonza smartphone app. Over the past two years of border closures and travel disruptions, there unfortunately haven't been too many good deals on airfares to Europe. But Singaporean low-cost carrier Scoot is changing this with flights from Australia to Europe available um, even for travel within the next few weeks from as little as $606 return, for example, on the Gold Coast to Athens route. And these flights uh, do transit through Singapore, but of course um, from next week you will no longer need to be tested as well when transiting through Singapore. Scoot also has cheap flights available from Melbourne and Sydney to Athens as well as to Berlin, and there are cheap one-way deals available available from Perth to Athens and Berlin, although there's um, no flights really available back into Perth at the moment for obvious reasons. Now, admittedly, these crazily low prices on Scoot do not include checked baggage or meals on board. 
Um, with the $606 return airfare, you literally just get a seat and 10 kilograms of carry-on luggage. Um, if you want to add 20 kilograms of checked luggage, you could expect to pay around another $129 each way. And then meals uh, cost another $34 each way on top of that. So that does turn the cheap $600 round-trip flight to Greece into about a $930 flight. But that's still a pretty good deal compared to some of the airfares we've been seeing lately um, out of Australia. Scoot relaunched its flights from Singapore to the Gold Coast just this week, marking the Gold Coast's first international services since the Trans-Tasman bubble closed last year. Finnair has revealed the brand new business class seat design that will be installed on its long-haul Airbus A330 and A350 aircraft over the next two years. The seats have attracted attention because they don't actually recline. Instead, you'll get what Finnair is describing as a sofa in the sky with a range of comfortable positions that you can try and sit in. And the seat can be used as a lie flat bed. There is a footwell for your feet to be able to have it in bed mode. Finnair is also launching a brand new premium economy class. Qantas has been accused of price gouging over changes it made last October to flight credits. Under its Fly Flexible policy, Qantas still offers customers the option to cancel their flight for a credit if they can no longer travel, for example if they have coronavirus. But these credits are now significantly more restrictive to use. They are now only valid for 12 months, can only be used to book new flights for the same passengers as were in the original booking, and they can only be used for a new airfare that's either the same price or more expensive as the original booking. And this means that credits for flights that were originally booked after the 1st of October 2021 can no longer be used towards multiple bookings. Angry customers have complained to ABC News that because of this, Qantas was trying to charge them over $1,400 to book a domestic flight that was available publicly on the Qantas website for just $437. Qantas has defended its policy, saying that the airline is completely transparent about this. It says also that other airlines have a similar approach, although... We haven't actually found this to be the case. Qantas also said that it encourages people to talk to them if there are extenuating circumstances, although one AFF member did exactly this this week and was simply told by the call centre that they couldn't do anything and too bad. This person is now $1,000 out of pocket because the person who they were originally booked to travel with has now left the country. Velocity Frequent Flyer has promised to reinstate the ability to transfer velocity points to the Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer program within a few months. For the first time since April 2020, Velocity members can now redeem their points for Singapore Airlines reward flights in economy class, although premium cabin awards on Singapore Airlines and the conversion of points to Chris Flyer miles have not yet returned. Velocity says that both of these things will happen soon though. Virgin Australia has pushed back the resumption of direct flights between Sydney and Canberra. In early December last year, Virgin announced that it would return to the Sydney-Canberra route in partnership with Link Airways from the 30th of January this year. The flights would be marketed by Virgin Australia but operated by Link Airways using 34-seater Saab 340 aircraft. Unfortunately, it seems there's not yet enough demand for Virgin to make this work, even on the small aircraft. In mid-January, Virgin pushed back the launch date for its Canberra to Sydney services from the 30th of January to the 14th of February, but this date has also now passed, and the start has been pushed back now to at least the 21st of March, and it's possible there could be more changes. And Qantas will launch direct flights from Sydney to Broken Hill from April. The Bombardier Q300 flights with 50 seats will run twice a week on Mondays and Fridays. 
At just 8,000 Qantas points and $28 each way for a classic flight reward seat, this is set to become a great Qantas frequent flyer redemption for those seeking a long weekend away in the outback. And of course, it's great news too for Broken Hill residents who now have another way to get to Sydney other than flying with Rex via Dubbo or a 14-hour train that runs once a week. That's what's making news on australianfrequentflyer.com.au this fortnight. You can stay up to date between podcasts by subscribing to the Australian Frequent Flyer Gazette to get the latest Frequent Flyer news straight to your inbox for free every Monday and Thursday morning. If you've been enjoying this podcast, you may be interested to know that I also host eight webinars per year for AFF's sister website, Frequent Flyer Solutions. Each interactive hour-long online webinar covers a timely topic of interest to frequent flyers and anyone in Australia looking to travel better for less. The next webinar will be held at 8pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday the 24th of February 2022 and the topic will be Qantas versus Velocity, choosing the right program for you. If you'd like to attend any Frequent Flyer Solutions webinar, you will need to register in advance. For more information, visit frequentflyer.com.au. Andrew Holland is a surgeon from Sydney, and before COVID, he was a bit of a veteran on the kangaroo route. He's been travelling regularly between Australia and the UK, and he's just returned recently flying Qantas from Sydney to London. And tell me about that experience. He joins me now on the AFF On Air podcast. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much. Yeah, so what was the reason you wanted to go back to London just recently? So we had some family commitments that we really had to get back for. Um, Unfortunately, there have been a few... Uh, deaths in the family and we weren't able to get back last year so there were some memorial services and and a funeral that we had to go back for so we really had some very definite dates that we had to travel on and make this time okay yeah um that's so and you you told me that you went sort of in the middle of january and came back early february and you choose to you chose to fly Qantas. Um, what was the reason for choosing Qantas rather than some of the other perhaps cheaper options Yes, there were definitely some cheaper options. Um, so, in fact, I did actually have some uh, free flights uh, booked using frequent flyer points uh, through One World, and they were actually on Emirates on the way out. And then we had a, a ticket which uh, took us through Tokyo, so you were on British Airways to Tokyo, and then uh, Japan Airlines back down to Sydney. Uh, but I was a little concerned about going to two different countries that I didn't need to go to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> With COVID, um, and then obviously, as we all know, that these testing requirements can change, and, and they can change even when you're on the flight. So, I, I was a little worried about that. Uh, and then we also had a very long layover in in Tokyo on the way back, which I was keen to avoid. So, as soon as I sort of heard about the Qantas flights and, and looked at the routing, I thought that looked to me a lot safer, a lot certain, um, albeit rather more expensive. Mm. And so you booked on QF1 from Sydney to London via Darwin and then back on QF2. What was the service like with Qantas and how, how, was, the, how was the trip? Um, look, the trip was, was overall really very good. Um, so uh, as you know, there's some logistical requirements that you need to achieve before you can actually get on the plane. So obviously your vaccination status is part of that. And, uh, in fact, in the lead-up to our departure, uh, initially there was the requirement to have some testing done before you left, but, in fact, that that disappeared just before we left. Um, And I think, actually, the worst thing was 
completing the UK passenger locator form, which was really tortuous and not a fun exercise. I definitely needed a stiff drink after I'd done that um, a couple of nights before we left. Uh, but once you'd done that, uh, the actual experience at the airport was was actually very smooth, at least for us. Um, you arrived at the uh, the check-in, we, we were fortunately flying business class. Um, and there was a fairly careful checking of your documentation before you actually got to the check-in counters. There's a little pre-check-in where they've got an iPad and they scan in your various QR codes. But I was sort of all prepared for that, so that was fine. And then the actual check-in itself was then really very quick. Um, of course, there was no one at the airport, so... Um, you just go straight through security, um, and then you're into the lounge. And um, you got to use the first class lounge, right? Yes, yes. So, um, in fact, they've actually closed the business class lounge. So, business class passengers then go to the first class lounge, which is obviously a really nice lounge. Um, and you you can have a full meal there if you want. I mean, we didn't we didn't need to have that, but uh, it's really a very nice lounge. And again, it was very quiet. I've, I've never seen that lounge as quiet as when I was there on, on the way out in, in January. Um, so really very nice experience at the airport. Um, boarding was, was pretty straightforward. They, for some reason, only use one air bridge, which does sort of slow it down. But um, once you're on the plane, um, the Dreamliner is a nice aircraft, uh, very comfortable seats. And, of course, the crew are just um, really excited about being in the air again, I think, and were very welcoming and, and you know, a great service up to Darwin with a nice dinner on the plane. So you flew up to Darwin uh, for the first leg, and uh, how was the transit in Darwin? Well, again, excellent, because you literally just come off the, the aircraft on the air bridge, and then pretty much sort of um, 10 metres away from you is, is the lounge. Uh, so you just go into the lounge, um, and the staff there, again, really excited, I think, to have passengers, uh, very welcoming. It, it's not a big lounge, so it's it's certainly on, on both both routings, it was pretty full by the time everyone had got into the lounge. Um, there is food and drink and everything available, but I think both times I wasn't really feeling that hungry or thirsty. Uh, but certainly if you wanted to, you could have that. Uh, they do obviously have um, toilets, but they, the showers were sort of blocked off, so you couldn't have a shower, unfortunately. Okay, so it sounds like the lounge experience in Perth or Singapore is a little bit nicer, but still, like, the main the main selling point of the route via Darwin is obviously just the lack of hassle having to transit via a third country. Yes. Um, and then, of course, you go back onto the aircraft, there's no security or anything, you're still airside, mm. so it's, again, very easy boarding process. And then, in fact, for the outgoing flight, we were actually sort of just waiting on the tarmac for sort of 20 minutes or so because, in fact, um, the, the flight was actually going to be a bit quicker than normal and they couldn't arrive before the the curfew was lifted at Heathrow. So, but, the, you know, the, the pilot explained that very clearly um, and we took off and, and arrived, um, you know, literally with the first flight in at 4.30 in the morning at, uh, at Heathrow. Yeah, so were there many people around at Heathrow at 4.30 in the morning? It was deserted. I've never yeah. seen it so quiet. And um, so I, one of the things I've been worried about is that normally I've got dual citizenship so I got a UK passport and I was really worried about going in on my Australian passport and because you had to link that to all your vaccination status and everything uh, but in fact it's actually really simple now there's there's all e-gates and they accept um, UK EU all the Commonwealth countries and the US so it's actually no different from being a UK citizen and it's exactly the same as at the Sydney airport. So it was really quick and simple. Uh, once they turned the machines on, we were the first flight in. They weren't quite ready for us, I don't think. And then our luggage came out extremely quickly. And then we were literally 
you know, uh, they had a ready to pick up a taxi uh, about sort of five o'clock in the morning. So very quick. Oh, that's great. So it sounds like you had a reasonably good trip over. Was it similar coming back? Uh, yes, look, a little, not perhaps quite so good. Uh, I think uh, at the time that we were flying back, which is now about two weeks ago, you had to obtain a, a COVID test uh, before you sort of were allowed to board the plane. And was so that, was for the, that was an requirement for arrival in Australia, right? Right, correct. So that's an Australian government requirement, not actually a Qantas requirement. Uh, but they, they did definitely check that at the terminal before you got in. So there's a, a little bit of logistics involved with that. Um, and it's not a test you can do at home. Uh, so you actually have to have what they call a medically supervised test, so either a PCR day three or rapid antigen uh, 24 hours before you fly. Um, once you'd um, you know pr- proven that and and, and checked in um, fairly straightforward through security and into the Qantas lounge at London Heathrow, uh, obviously it's um, uh, unlike the normal kangaroo route. It's a daytime flight, so they just turn around the aircraft um, straight away and head back. Uh, so we were a little late to parting, um, but you know so that meant we arrived in Darwin about half an hour late. But again very similar lounge experience for the return trip. Uh, a little bit of a delay taking off. There were some technical issues with putting in the flight data into the computer, I think. Um, but once they resolved that, we, we did take off. And then we arrived in Sydney about an hour late, uh, so Sunday evening. Okay. What was the food like in Qantas Business Class on, on the long-haul flight? Uh, so I'd say going out on QF1, so the, there was a nice dinner on the first sector. And on the second sector, obviously, pretty much you just want to go to sleep. Um, because it's such a long flight, 16 and a half hours, you know, I mean, okay, you sleep for maybe, I don't know, six, eight, nine hours, and then, you know, you've basically had enough sleep. Uh, so you tend to sort of wake up, and then they then serve a, a breakfast um, probably about an hour and a half, two hours out from London. Um, so you might just get a little bit bored, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's a long flight. <laughs> it's a long flight, but, you know, um, at least you're in business class and be able to sleep. So that's that's okay. Um, on the return flight, I felt the catering wasn't perhaps quite so good. Um, so when you take off, obviously you've, you've had probably breakfast in the lounge because you have to check in really early. So you're literally at the airport by about sort of 6, 6.30. So most people won't have had breakfast. They'll probably have breakfast in the lounge. And then um, they serve a sort of early lunch dinner, and then they're pretty keen for people to sort of, you know, put the lights, the shades down and and start watching films. And it uh, sort of seems to go on for a very long time. And then they serve um, a breakfast, which was sort of slightly odd, but I guess it's probably breakfast Australia time. Uh, before you land in Darwin. Uh, and then when you get back on for the last sector, that was a little bit um, little bit parsimonious, I think. The, the, it was a very sort of supper, so really just a sort of light light meal for that last sector. I'm not quite sure why that was, because I actually felt quite hungry at that time. I think you just, whatever time it was back in the UK, so I'd have preferred a more substantial dinner, but, you know, it was, it was fine. Yeah. Okay. And so what was it like um, on the ground in London? Like, was it pretty much business as usual? Uh, yeah, look, it was certainly much more normal and felt much more normal than it has been in Australia or certainly in Sydney um, at the time we left. So Omicron was sort of still really peaking or had yet to peak in Sydney. So uh, you, you certainly saw people wearing masks on public transport and in shopping centres, but 
every sort of cafe and shop was open. And obviously, when you're going into a, a cafe or a bar or or a restaurant, you know, obviously people aren't wearing masks because they're going to be eating and, and drinking, and it, it felt very normal. Okay. Oh, that, that's good. And so it sounds like you had a pretty good experience um, overall. Obviously, you didn't catch COVID, so you didn't have any no, problems didn't getting catch back. COVID, so, so that, was, that was a definite bonus. Yes, I was a bit worried about that, but no, it was all good. Oh, that's good. So my, my final question, I think I know the answer then, um, is would you recommend if someone is thinking about going to the UK or needs to go or just wants to go for a holiday even, would you recommend that they travel at the moment? Um, look, I think I would say if if you if you have to go somewhere to the say to the UK um, for family reasons or you've got business commitments, I, I definitely wouldn't hesitate. Um, I think that particular routing is is as safe as you can possibly make it, and you know effectively it's the shortest journey time. Uh, so I would I would go. I think if you were looking for a relaxed, stress free holiday, um, it's probably not the time to go just yet. And I would probably defer that to sort of closer to the sort of middle or second half of the year uh, if you're going for that. Because there's still a bit of bit of testing and things that goes on. And, of course, things change generally positively of late, um, but they do change and, and that can be make it a bit frustrating for you. Yeah, definitely. Well, Andrew Holland, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Another Australian frequent flyer member who travelled to the UK recently and in fact is still in the UK is Scoobs214 from the Sunshine Coast. Welcome to the AFF On Air podcast. Hi Matt, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, and I know a few AFF members have uh, read your trip report. Um, you posted quite a quite a uh, oh, yeah. detailed trip report about your trip over on Japan Airlines. So I guess first of all, what was the reason that you wanted to head over to London? I've been wanting to get over here, obviously, like a lot of people over the past two years because I've got family in London and I had just seen them um, just prior to COVID and and flew back to Australia and then, yeah, I wanted to go back but couldn't. So this was the the first opportunity to get back there, Um, do see some of the sights, you know, have a good um, English beer, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and just just get out traveling again because, as you know, um, we've all kind of been stuck, so... Um, it was just really awesome to um, to leave internationally again. Absolutely. And you, you booked a flight on Japan Airlines via Tokyo. Uh, why did you choose Japan Airlines of all the options? All right. Um, well, firstly, because I'm I'm with One World, so I'm pretty sure I was at ex- Executive Club, so I wanted to kind of tap that up a bit and get some tier points and, and get a bit of status. Um, but also, because I was looking at Singapore Airlines um, because we could obviously go via Singapore and I was also looking at um, JAL. Qantas was a bit expensive. I'd, I'd looked at them, um, but their prices just went skyrocketing for the, the time I wanted to go. Um, so JAL kind of fitted, ticked all the boxes, got the one world points, that kind of thing. Um, and I didn't need to do any tests. So going via uh, Haneda, you don't need tests. You're, you're in transit, so you can't leave the airport. Um, but then also, yeah, it was, so it was a lot easier. And I'd n- never uh, flown to Japan or on a Japanese airline before, so I thought it'd be pretty cool. That sounds really good. So tell me about the flight. You, um, I guess you would have flown down from the Sunshine Coast to Sydney, and what was the check-in experience like in Sydney Airport? So um, I'd stayed at the um, the Ridges Hotel just across the way, so that was really convenient. Went across to check-in. Um, I'd, at that point, I'd, I'd, I'd booked economy but upgraded to business class because the price is quite good. Um, and when I arrived... 
um, there was probably like two people in the economy and lined up and um, I was the only business class person and the lady behind checking she got out front the counter and walked over to me and said ah oh, I said my name and introduced me and I was I was like oh she knows who I am she said yeah she she knew it was what she goes well you you're really the I think there was um yeah there was two people in business class wow so <laughs> it wasn't hard to recognize not a full me. flight so not a full flight definitely not I think two in business class and I think there was like seven in economy so it was really quiet um and um so when you got to check in there was like a little counter before check-in and they just went through your your vac certificate and just that you'd done your passenger locator form um which interestingly with the the uk is you have to do it i think within it's a three days it's 72 hours but the website works it out for you so if you're doing it um, outside of it, it won't let you complete it so that was pardon me that was cool um and then she checked everything it was super nice really sweet and then she took me up to the counter um checked me in and um and then the lady she said to me well now you're flying business class you you do have access to the um the the Qantas lounge uh when you go through so I thought that's great <laughs> and um went through um security there was nobody there um you know the e-gate's really easy um, and the terminal itself, it wasn't super quiet. There's a few people around. It's getting better, which is really good. Um, obviously, duty-free is open, that kind of stuff. Um, and I went up to the, the Qantas Lounge, and um, uh, which was the first lounge because the business lounge was closed, and showed my uh, my ticket. And, uh, yeah, all three ladies said that um, JAL wasn't part of the one world and that I didn't have access. <coughs> Pardon me. So that was a little bit frustrating. Yeah, so I guess Japan Airlines, well, I mean, we know that Japan Airlines is in one world. It's quite quite sad, actually, that the staff at the lounge didn't know that. But um, regardless, um, it turns out you did, didn't have access to that lounge because the normally as a business class passenger under the one world agreement, you'd have access to the business lounge um, and that was closed. And so Qantas, I believe, was within their rights to not let you into the first lounge, uh, which they would be letting their own passengers into. But you did have access to another lounge, right? I did, yeah, and um, yeah, so it, it was cool. I, like, it was frustrating, but um, I I had access down to the Plaza Premium Lounge, and Qantas did tell me that up at the first lounge. They said you can go to Plaza Premium, so I went down there, and that's the old Amex Lounge. Um, it's quite small, but it's it's nice, tidy, clean, um, and there's you know there's a sparse offering of food and stuff, and a really good view of the plane. That was great. So I just spent an, about an hour and a half there waiting for my flight. Um, not a lot else to do. All the other lounges were closed. Um, so, but yeah, and then we're headed off to the gate. And, and when I was there, just so, it just hardly any people. It was just amazing. Cause usually when I'm traveling overseas, you know, you, you're lining up and there's hundreds of people. This was just mind blowing, to be honest. Yeah. And so you got on board. There were two passengers in business class. I guess the service <laughs> must have been pretty good then. Pretty oh, attentive was- service. Wow, it was it was it was great. Yeah. So there's there's two sections on the seven eight seven dash eight. I got managed to jag one A. I mean there was nobody else to fight for it. <laughs> but and then the other other lady who was Japanese, she was sitting at the back of the first of, of the cabin I was in and she pretty much slept for the whole way. So uh yeah, I got the uh, customary uh, cardigan and um sat down and settled in and I've never flown Japan Airlines and never flown in business class on them, so it was quite a treat. Really enjoyed it, um, and yeah, they were just just the crew was amazing. I, I can't fault them, um, and but really engaging with the crew. Like if you've got the time to to speak to them in Japanese, or at least say you know please and thank you in Japanese, and be interested in their culture, the amount of service that comes back from that is threefold. It's just amazing. So 
really get involved with the crew if you can. I mean, obviously, if you're tired and you don't want to, that's fine. Um, another thing I noticed was they really appreciated me having the Japanese um, menu. You can obviously have the, their food is, is is amazing, but you can have a Western style menu or you can have you know the Jap- Japanese style menu, and they really appreciated you having it as a Westerner, um, sort of engaging in, in in their culture. So I can really attest to that. And the food was great; it was really really good. And the amount of alcohol <laughs> they just wanted, you know, this. So I, sometimes I just could not drink anymore. And they'd come up and they'd say, do you want to try this? And they've got this Japanese um, spirit called, I think it's shoshu or something like that, which is similar to sake but made with pota- uh, sweet potato. And um, I asked them about it and she said, do you want to try it? And I said, sure. So she poured me a little bit and then she brought out another bottle for a different one and I just had this taste testing of this shoku. And it's like it was like 48%. So I was oh. wasted like after about, you know, three or four glasses of it. And then she was asking me if I wanted like, you know, the plum wine, which I had to have. So it was just, yeah, it, it was really good. Never drank so much alcohol on a flight before. <laughs> mm. Well, at least um, you didn't have anywhere to go at the end of the flight because you had a very, very long layover in Haneda That's Airport. True. And because um, obviously you can't enter Japan at the moment, you also um, couldn't leave the airport. So how did you manage that? So uh, when you arrive, um, there was only myself traveling through to London the next day. Um, and then there was another lady who was traveling, I think, to India. And there was two of us. And um, Japan Airlines meets you at the gate. And then they take you, this representative takes you through transit security and checks all your docks. And then one, and then you get up into the Terminal 3 departures area. And as I was coming out, there's a little elevator. On the right-hand side is Jal Lounge. And as I was turning the corner, they put up the close sign. So I was like, oh, no. So this is late in the evening at this point. Yeah. Yeah, so I can't remember exactly. It's probably about seven o'clock or seven thirty p.m. Okay, um, around that time, and yeah, the the representative was putting up the sign to close, and I was like, oh no, um, and I said to her, oh look, when do you guys open? She said, oh we open. I think it was like six a.m. But she was really helpful. Like she wasn't just like we're open at six. We'll see you tomorrow. She said, oh look, if you need anything, if you need a shower, there's a, a paid lounge further down, which there was. So. I went down there. It's called the Sky Lounge, I think, and it was about twenty-four Australian dollars, and you got a shower and you got to use the really basic lounge access. So that was cool. That sorted me for till about ten p.m. Um, and then I went for a wander. After that, everything was pretty much closed. There's like one duty-free shop open, and um, and then made my way basically back to where the gel lounge entrance was. And there's all these, you know, heaps of seats which are really comfortable, comfortable because there's no armrest. Uh, and I just sort of made a bed. And that's what a lot of people do. And there's about 50 people spread around the airport that were sort of staying overnight. Um, right. And you didn't really have a choice because the um, the transit hotel at Haneda Airport is closed at the moment, right? That's exactly right. Yeah. So there's two. There's obviously the one that's near the check-in area that people talk about. There's also the airside one that you can only access in departures. And that was closed. So that would have been really convenient. Um, even though it's a bit pricey, it would have been really good. But that, that's been closed for a while and into the into the future foreseeable future so i didn't have access to that okay and so you you stayed overnight i guess you got to use the Mm. japan airlines lounge the next morning when it finally opened uh and then you flew over to uh london on the the next day on again in japan airlines business class was the service on that flight also very good yeah amazing and the triple seven is a lovely plane even though it's a bit older it's it's a gorgeous plane so again it's got two small cabins you've got the first sort of area of business class where it's kind of like a row of one and then you've got the, the larger one behind. So I, I am able to jag whatever seat number that was. I can't remember the first one there. And that was really good. It was a bit like I'm used to traveling to the UK overnight. 
uh, via Singapore. That's usually how I do it. So it's a bit strange flying 11.30 in the morning and doing a day flight across. However, you do kind of go day to night to day um, because it goes so far north, near the North uh, Pole, yeah. which is kind of cool. Um, but the service, again, amazing, the food amazing, and I was really engaged with the crew. Um, and I, I mentioned in the trip report and that one there, but I noticed that in the galley area, um, for the people that were in business in the business class on this flight to represent all the nationalities, which was Australian, uh, British, and J- Japanese, they made these three little cranes, and it was like a you know thank you for flying with them, which I thought was really sweet. And I just asked one of the um, the ladies, the flight attendants, how you do that, and um, yeah, out of that basically came a, a crane making session for half an hour, <laughs> <laughs> which was really cool. Um, but and it's something that uh, apparently that. Uh, Japanese children are taught from their parents at a young age how to do so it's just sort of ingrained in their culture um, yeah so she she sort of sat down and, and we were making cranes and she brought all out this beautiful Japanese paper and I was trying my best of failing miserably and then she was showing and then she was getting frustrated because she forgot to how to do it so then she went back to the the galley and was consulting her colleagues on the next move and um, and then and then came back out and said oh here we go and then she showed me and then yeah, it was really good. And then she gave me those ones. And then at the end of the flight, they gave me like a goodie bag and they gave me the three different nationality ones. Oh, no, sorry, no, not three. They gave me the Australian one um, to take with me and a little uh, a little sort of with compliments card, handwritten um, with my name on it. So it's all, all done uh, on the flight and it's saying thank you and thank you for the crane making session and everything. So that was so cool. Like you just don't get that anywhere. So. That's pretty amazing service. So, like, on the first flight, you got sort of mm. an impromptu uh, tasting session. And then on the second flight, you got an origami class all included in the fare. I mean, that's that's pretty cool for Japan Airlines, that, I have to say. It is very cool. And, I mean, the, the tasting thing worked too because I ended up buying two bowls of this shoshu for my family. And oh, they right. package it lovely and, you know, put a bows on it and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, But I, yeah, I can't follow the service. I, but it's just, it is just mind-blowing. And um, clearly, they really appreciate people using their airline, uh, even in, you know, in these tough times. Yeah, and of course, Japan is still closed um, for tourists who want to enter the country. So it really is just Japanese people and transit passengers or essential travellers at the moment. So um, I guess they, yeah, they they must they must be appreciative for any business that they, they they're getting out of Australia at the moment. Um, and Definitely. certainly, that's that seems to have shown in the in the service that you've experienced. I've got to say, the one thing um, I noticed with the actual the hard product in Japan Airlines was. The, the seat is, you can see it's getting dated, but it's still really good. Like, it's really good. And um, they provide, like, a, a mattress you can put down. And I didn't know, I, I knew about the mattress, but I didn't know you could kind of use it while you sit it up, seated up. So I asked them for, on the second flight, a second mattress because they made the bed next to me and then they gave me a second mattress. And just sitting up with, like, this air weave mattress underneath it, it's, a, it's really comfy. So if anybody's flying with them, definitely get that air weave mattress and use it even if you're sitting up. All right. Okay. And you mentioned uh, right at the start that you um, are accumulating status with British Airways Executive Club. I find that interesting because obviously you're, you're right. from Australia and, um, yeah. you know, most, most Australians would credit One World Flights to Qantas Frequent Flyer. Um, but no, you, you've you've um, earned British Airways tier points for the, the Japan Airlines flights. And you, um, you mentioned to me before that you now have silver status with British Airways, which is equivalent to Qantas Gold. So why, um, yeah, why choose British Airways? executive club over Qantas frequent flyer it seems to be easier so I've, I've noticed with and from what I've learned actually on the Australian frequent flyer 
website there, you did a write-up about it a while ago, about that being another option to Qantas. And I find it it's easier. I mean, I do try travel to the UK a fair bit when I can. So I can get the minimum sectors in for, for British Airways. So that's one of the things that you do need to do. But I've also heard that getting to life, lifetime sort of gold equivalent is easy as well. Um, so that's another reason why. Also, I do have um, a couple of um, – I've got the British Airways AMAX Premium Plus card, so I do collect Avios. That's kind of my thing. Yeah, it, it just – it seems like I, to get to certain levels, it's easier. Yeah, and I do I do like British Airways, even though a lot of people bag them out. I do quite like them. they kind of got a soft spot in my heart, so that would be probably the reason. I do like Qantas too, so don't get me wrong. Qantas is great. But uh, I'm not against Qantas. But it's just it seems like an easier way to reach status overall. Okay, yeah, no, that, that's interesting. And like a lot of people um, who use British Airways who are based in Australia, and you can actually now also join British Airways Executive Club with an Australian address for a, quite a time. You couldn't do that, but that's that's no longer the case. Yeah. But the amount of tier points you earn, especially when flying on One World partner airlines like Japan Airlines, for example, are just so much higher than what you'd earn with uh, Qantas Frequent Flyer. So it does seem like a good choice um, flying on on an airline like JAL to to credit to British Airways. Definitely. And also at the moment, because British Airways, the executive club, have got reduced tier point requirements, I think 25% less on each each level, that makes it a lot easier too. So I think that runs up to the end of the year from memory. So that is a big winner as well. Also, um, not just the tier points, but on the Avia side of things, and I think you spoke about this in that article that you wrote, is that if you want to get Qantas business class flights in Australia on the sort of the shorter legs, it's a lot less Avios compared to Qantas frequent fly points. It certainly is. Yeah, I think 12,500 Avios for flights up to 650 miles in distance, um, whereas mm, right, Qantas yeah. is, uh, what is 18,400 points for flights up to 600 miles. So <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, and the taxes are more or less the same, slight variations, but more or less the same. So it's a bit of a no-brainer, isn't it, if you can, um, if you can earn Avios? Yeah. Yeah, and one of the catches with earning British Airways status is that you do need to get those four British Airways sectors each year on on British Airways marketed flights. But um, as you say, if you're if you're travelling to Europe regularly, you can just um, do those around the UK, right? You can. That's right. So if, I guess you could fly BA to the UK when it comes back. But yeah, you could just do it. And, and like I did, uh, just over a week ago, I flew up to Aberdeen and back uh, to get two sectors on British Airways, and that that wasn't very expensive and a good little day out. But um, yeah, so I, and I just need another two sectors. I'm still in the UK until next Wednesday, so I'm gonna. And yeah, you, we were speaking earlier, and you mentioned that um, Switzerland's open now, so um, I might pop over there for the day. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now you did unfortunately catch COVID nineteen while you're in the UK, uh, yeah. and um, this is something that a lot of people um, are concerned about traveling because they just in case they do catch it, um, and they're sure. concerned, of course, about you know the health implications, but also how how that might disrupt their trip. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could just talk to me a little bit about like what happened when you found out that you had it. Okay. Well. Just sticking sort of with the facts kind of thing without getting political or any of that j- jargon. I mean, I, I, I'm double vaxxed. I haven't had my booster yet because I just wasn't in the sort of the, the catchment time frame. So and I was cool with that. Um, so I, I arrived here and then a week, about just over a week in, um, my, I'm staying with family in London and my uncle, he became ill, um, just kind of like a cold kind of thing, uh, shivery, that stuff. And then a few days later, I got it. Um, and I, for me, the experience was, so I've had it, it, it's been about 10 days now I'm at the tail end of it, hence the cough. But, um, the first three to four days was just for me was intense, 
um, fever, like really bad fever, really bad body aches, and um, I really like sore throat, like like knives kind of thing, um, sharp razor blades. Um, and that was my kind of kind of thing that went for about three or four days. That kind of dissipated. Um, then I just got night sweats that have just sort of hanging around and um, not really tiredness. Um, it, it, it felt like a really bad flu. That's what it felt like. Um, and I'm sure it's probably a bit worse over here because I limited sun. So I'm, you know, taking a lot of vitamin D um, and um, the cold weather. You know, it, it's, it's, it, it's quite, it's quite cold to be honest. Um, so that makes it tougher. Um, but I'm coming out and obviously I've been doing, um, you know, testing with the, the lateral flow things. Um, I was meant to fly back on the 16th back to Australia, but I've had to postpone in a week, which has paid off anyway. Um, but yeah, cause I couldn't obviously get a, a clear test. So it is, there's a little bit of stress there. Um, cause you, you know, I've got to get this, you know, a test and clear before I can go. But um, over here in the UK, um, you can get a, a box of seven lateral flow tests for free from the chemist or even online, and they just send it to you. So that's quite convenient. There's no, you don't have to pay for anything like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, my whole family's come down with it now. There's, well, there's four of us in the house here. Um, so, and we're all coming to the tail end of it. But, yeah, um, yeah it, it did take a big chunk out of my holiday. So people who are on a short trip, I can imagine it'd be quite frustrating. Um, but the thing is, you've got to expect that, I mean, I'm, I've been out of London like every day prior to this. So I'm around people that are coughing on the tube and all that kind of stuff, even though, you know, people wear masks on the tube. So you're going to catch it. So I, I went in knowing that it's likely I'm going to get it. So if you, I think if you do that and not get worried about it, still go and enjoy a holiday and just plan for it. Be, be, be aware that you could have it and you might have to postpone for a week. And if you're okay with that, I think still travel, go for it. And so I guess in the UK, obviously, you have to isolate until, you, until you've recovered um, at home yeah. or in a hotel or wherever. Yeah, at the moment you do. I, and don't quote me on this. I think it's five days. So, yeah, I think five days and you can test and then go from there. It was 10. I, I'm not really – so I'm isolating anyway until I get basically a, a clear test because just yeah. basically for courtesy because I don't want to be that person that, you know, gets somebody else sick because that's horrible. Yeah, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, but I think in, in, the, in the next few weeks, Boris Johnson – Prime Minister's been announced he's going to lift everything. So if you are sick, it's sort of your own personal responsibility, you know, as if you have the flu, don't go to work or if you, you know, it's up to you kind of thing. So there'll be no quarantine. Right. And was it easy enough to change your flight home? Oh, super easy. Japan Airlines. Oh, my yeah, God. So you mate. obviously <laughs> weren't flying Qantas. Uh, no. No, I... <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get through to them on the call centre. <laughs> no, I didn't, <laughs> didn't try to do that, no. Um, I rang Japan Airlines um, and um, got through to them. This was sort of midday-ish or mid-morning. Got through to them within 10 minutes. I was on hold just for 10 minutes. Lovely consultant. Um, yeah, no worries. We'll change your flight. Just got to reprice it and make sure there's nothing else. And because I, I'd had a, a schedule change, it had to be done manually. So they said to me, look, we'll call you back if that's okay. And I said, that's cool. Because I'd, I'd spoken to them before to, with my flight regarding upgrades and stuff. And they rang me back. Everything was good, yeah. Sort everything sorted, no additional price, and changed and revalidated. And then I've got the app, Japan Airlines app, and I just checked it on that. And then I just um, chose my seats and all good for next Wednesday. So yeah. oh, okay, that seems yeah, not not too disruptive. That's that that's good. And so I guess my final question, which is what I've been asking um, everyone who I've spoken to recently on the podcast, is: Would you recommend uh, traveling overseas at the moment based on your experience? I definitely would. Yes. 
Um, I could see how it would be hard for a family um, because obviously you've got a lot more variables there. As a single person, it's easy because, you know, you can change things on the fly. I just think if, if people have the ability to have a little bit of spare time up their sleeve, then definitely do it because, I mean, you will eventually test negative. It's going to happen. So you will be able to get home. Um, but, um, yeah, I think if you can, yeah, give that extra time, you've got a bit extra cash just in case something goes wrong, definitely travel. Yeah. And it's, it's probably the best time to travel now because it's so quiet. So you can have that space in the plane. Um, even in, in, in tourist locations and things that I've been to, it's still really quiet. So, um, yeah, definitely, um, definitely, um, get out there. Awesome. Well, Scoops214, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. It's been great. Well, that's all for this episode of AFF On Air. I hope those interviews gave you a bit of a taste for what it's like to travel to the UK at the moment and perhaps also a bit of encouragement to take the trip if you've been thinking about going but haven't yet booked. Thanks again to my two guests and thank you for listening. For more information about anything discussed in today's episode, check out the episode notes. Here you'll also find a link to the AFF On Air discussion thread on the Australian Frequent Flyer Forum where you're welcome to discuss the podcast or ask me a question to be answered in a future episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd take just a minute to review AFF On Air on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform to receive every episode as soon as it's released. I'm Matt Graham, and I'll be back next fortnight with more news, tips and tricks for Australian travellers. And until then, safe travels. Safe travels.